Blog Talk Radio. live internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from start to finish. This is PGN, Prophetic Grace Network, and it is Sunday, September 3rd of 2023. It's the countdown to Battle of Armageddon. We are talking about the reality of the countdown to the Battle of Armageddon today. This program and PGN is all about answers. For truth seekers. Now, a truth seeker is often a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ, but not always. Not always. I believe that any person, man or woman, child or adult, who really has a heart for truth and who pursues it with all his or her uh, mind, spirit, uh, all of his, uh, what I mean to say is mind, will, and emotions. I believe that if a truth seeker has a heart and has set his or her mind and aligned his or her emotions to conform to what is true, that ultimately the truth seeker will arrive at knowing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father except through him. But listen, whether we're in agreement uh, about that or not, I encourage you, friend and truth seeker, to stay with me and stay with us as we focus on the countdown to the Battle of Armageddon. I want to go to it right now. In the book of Revelation, there are 12 statements of prophecy. By my analysis, John the Revelator When he was called up to heaven, he was shown 12 documentaries. He was shown 12 visions, moving pictures with words that were external to himself. These were moving pictures with words, movies that included curated images with sound. These moving pictures with words are movies. That's what we would say in today's vernacular but not just any kind of movie, movies about future realities. We call movies about realities, movies that are not uh, fictionalized uh, creations, but movies about truths. We call those documentaries. So essentially what John the Revelator was shown was 12 documentaries. Now, most people... If, had, if, if most of us had the opportunity, most people, if we had the opportunity to get in a time machine and to visit the future and then come back to our present, we would do it. That's what the book of Revelation is. When you start with Revelation chapter 
5, verse 1, and you go to verse 5 of chapter 22, you are essentially getting in a time machine and traveling to the future while still having the luxury of being in the present. It's time for us to uh, go to that documentary, The Marriage Supper Statement of Prophecy, The Marriage Supper Documentary, if you will, in the book of Revelation. It is Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. So this Marriage Supper Prophecy is the singular documentary, the singular statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation that focuses nearly exclusively on the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is mentioned in multiple documentaries in the book of Revelation, but there's only one statement of prophecy. That's the one that we're about to hear in the book of Revelation that gives us a very detailed account of who is at the Battle of Armageddon, why the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought, and what happens at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. Now, as I shared, we're talking about the countdown to the Battle of Armageddon. That's what we're in right now. After the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, we have the commencement of the government of Jesus Christ on this earth. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven today. Well, when uh, will the will of God be done on the earth? When he puts down the governments of men and establishes the kingdom of God on this present earth. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is a righteous war. It's a a righteous war. It's the war to end all wars. Let's hear the Marriage Supper Prophecy, and then let's talk about it. Let's discuss and analyze the Marriage Supper Prophecy, but let's go to it right now. Reading from the book of Revelation, beginning with verse 6 of Revelation chapter 19, here is the Marriage Supper Prophecy. Then... I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this through those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Now let's pause for a second. What did we hear in this movie trailer, in this abstract, Uh, for the marriage supper prophecy, verses 6 to 9 of Revelation 19. So we hear that it is now the time. 
So in other words, in chronological time, that's what we exist in on this present earth, the specific appointed day and hour has arrived for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, we're going to hear proof in Scripture today that the wedding feast of the Lamb is a feast prepared for the vultures of this present earth. It is a feast that's a cleanup plan for the carnage that remains after the Battle of Armageddon is fought in one. Now, you might say, research scientists, that sounds absurd. Maybe it does. But absurd doesn't mean that it's not true. Now, let's continue. What else did we hear in this abstract? For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Who's the bride? The bride includes all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So at this point, immediately prior to the Battle of Armageddon, we get some information about the status of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what is the status of those who are Team Jesus at the commencement of the Battle of Armageddon? In other words, at the beginning of it, right before it happens and at the beginning of it, what is happening? What's the status of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, verse 8 tells us, She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Now, right now, um, I'm wearing an outfit. It doesn't happen to be linen, and it's pink. It's a nice dress. I'm happy to have it and to get to wear it. But this is not the same outfit that will be given to me when I participate, when I participate as a result of receiving an invitation in the activities connected to the Battle of Armageddon. Every believer whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and only believers have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be given a special outfit to wear during this event. Now, what's the outfit? It says in verse 8, she has been given who? The bride. Who's the bride? The bride is the church. Who's the church? Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who are among the sheep, those who are among the wheat, included in the harvest, those who are among the good fish that are kept in contrast to the bad fish, which will be thrown out. Now, the bride, all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all who participate in the first resurrection, it says, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. When does this happen? This happens before the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, I'm 100% persuaded that the wedding feast of the Lamb is the Battle of Armageddon. But let's say you say, research scientists, I'm not there with you yet. Okay. We haven't gotten to those scriptures yet. But in any case, certainly we can agree that 
these scriptures clearly communicate that prior to the wedding feast of the Lamb, every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will be given a pure white linen outfit, okay? And it says, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Okay, so he could have given us a purple outfit. He could have given us, you know, an orange outfit. He could have given us, you know, the list goes on like that. But he chooses to give us an outfit that is white, and it's pure white linen, and it represents the good deeds of God's holy people. I'm just going to mention as a quick sidebar, notice in the purple and scarlet prophecy, Revelation chapters 17, 18, and verses 1 to 5 of 19, do you notice that the leadership of the harlot church, that they wear linen that's scarlet in color, scarlet, purple and scarlet linen? Okay, but the bride of Christ, we will wear pure white linen, and we're told for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Where are we in time? Countdown to the Battle of Armageddon, the First resurrection has happened. In the earth reaped prophecy, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, verses uh, 6 to 14. Let me make sure I have all those verses right. In the earth reaped prophecy, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20, the first resurrection has already happened. Uh, other things have happened. Uh, let's stay where we are. The first resurrection has happened very close in time, very close in time. Now it's time for the battle of Armageddon. Let's continue. Verse 9 says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Let's hear that again. And the angel said to me, so an angel talking to John the Revelator. The angel's already told John, it's time for the wedding feast of the Lamb. All whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life have been given an awesome outfit to wear. It's pure white linen and that the outfit is symbolic. Uh, but literal, so we're giving an actual outfit that we're going to wear. Now the angel says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So it's a blessing to be at the Battle of Armageddon. It's a blessing to be invited uh, to the war that is the war to end all war, a war waged in righteousness. Verse 10 says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Now, all of these statements of prophecy including this marriage suffer prophecy, it's all about the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And so the angel tells John, don't worship me. Don't worship me. Worship only God. That's important for all of us to hear. Worship only God. We don't worship angels. We only worship God. Let's continue with verse 11. 
We're in Revelation chapter 19 talking about the Antichrist, the false prophet, the battle of Armageddon. The marriage supper prophecy is the definitive prophecy on the battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. It's the only prophecy focused nearly exclusively on the battle of Armageddon. Although the battle of Armageddon is mentioned in multiple prophecies in the book of Revelation, we have the most detail in its own prophecy, the marriage supper prophecy. Let's continue. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21, verse 11 says, Then, John the Revelator is talking to us, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Now let's pause for a second. It's time for the Battle of Armageddon. Believers have participated in the first resurrection, and now 100% of believers we have on white outfits. Now, there are always three locations to think about when we're looking at any prophecy. One location is present earth. Another location is present heaven. And another location is present Hades. So what's happening on the earth, in heaven, and underneath the earth? So those are three locations to always think about. Now, here we're told that in the location... Above the earth, heaven, a white horse is standing there, and it has a rider. It says, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now, this is the first time that we're hearing the word war. And notice it says, wages a righteous war. So the person who's riding the white horse, the person on the horse that's standing there in heaven, and there's a rider on it. So this rider, the person on the white horse, wages a righteous war. Now, in a moment, you're going to hear that this war is the Battle of Armageddon. Now, about the rider, it says, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly in wages a righteous war. Verse 12 says, his eyes were like flames of fire. Now, we've heard that before about someone in the book of Revelation. His eyes were like flames of fire. That's Jesus Christ. But let's continue. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. So this is telling us that the title of the person who's riding this white horse, the person who's going to wage a righteous war, is the Word of God. And that his outfit is a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? The blood that he shed on the cross. The first time he came, he was the Lamb of God. But when he returns this time, at the time of the first resurrection, followed by the Battle of Armageddon, when he returns at this time, he comes as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
and he's wearing a specific outfit, just like you and I, as members of the royal race, as the bride of Christ, will be wearing a white linen outfit. We're told that the rider of the white horse is wearing a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Let's continue, verse 14. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So now we hear that there's not just Jesus Christ on a singular white horse, but he will be followed by, he is followed by. Let's fast forward and be present at that time. So John the Revelator is being shown what's happening in real time at a point in the future. So this has already happened in the future, but for us it's the future, right? We're limited to the confines of linear time, but God is not. God is not limited to the confines of linear time. So this has already happened. What has happened? What is soon to come to pass in the future, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So that's what's going to happen. It's in our future. It's in uh, God's past. Okay, because all the time exists within God. Now let's continue. From his mouth came a sharp sword. Okay, let's stay on track. Jesus Christ is the focus of the Battle of Armageddon. We're told that his name is faithful and true, that he's the one waging this war, that he judges fairly, his eyes are like flames of fire, on his head are many crowns, and that his title is the word of God. Further, we're told that following him, he has armies, A-R-M-I-E-S, not just a singular army, but he has armies, and these are referred to as the armies of heaven. All of those who are in his armies, their uniform is also pure white linen. They are traveling via white horse as well. Now, what else about Jesus Christ? Uh, The focus The central figure in the Battle of Armageddon is Jesus Christ. We're told here, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, notice it doesn't say from his mouth came uh, a song or from his mouth came comforting words or from his mouth came uh, light, which was soothing. It says from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. It doesn't say to coddle the nations, to love on the nations, to comfort the nations. Now, I often hear people say Jesus is love. Well, he is love. But Jesus is also justice. He's the prince of peace. Now, the Antichrist will tell us that he's going to bring peace, but it's a false peace. Only the prince of peace, Jesus Christ, can bring true peace. Now, what's his mechanism for bringing peace? Number one, he will wage a righteous war. That's what we're hearing about right now. He will wage the Battle of Armageddon. He will fight and win the Battle of Armageddon. And the second part of his mechanism to bring peace on the earth is to put down the governments of men and establish the government 
of God, to establish the kingdom of God right here on this present earth. We're told in Isaiah chapter 9, talking about Jesus Christ, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Now let's stay here. In the timing of the Battle of Armageddon, we're given a picture before the Battle of Armageddon has even started. Jesus Christ is in present heaven, and we're told from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, at the time of the Battle of Armageddon, we know from the 666 Antichrist prophecy that there will be a ten-nation alliance. A ten-nation alliance, which will be led by the Antichrist. This ten-nation alliance will dominate economic and political affairs. It is the one-world government referred to in Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. Beyond the ten-nation alliance, there will be other nations, many nations. Now, what does it say here? From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Which nations do you think he wants to strike down? Is it the nation which has aligned itself with the values of Jesus Christ? Is it the nation who has a president who uses the Bible as a way to make decisions and arrive at correct thinking? Of course not. It will be those nations who have allied with the Antichrist and the false prophet promoting the one world religion during the Great Tribulation, which precedes the wrath of God, which precedes the Battle of Armageddon. During the Great Tribulation, the harlot church will promote a one world religion. All of the false religions of the world will be allowed to be subsumed under a false Christianity, the one world religion promoted by the false prophet. These nations who have leaders who have made this one world religion, the national religion, they will be in trouble. The nations who send troops to join the armies of the Antichrist, they will be in trouble. We hear about it in Zechariah and in Ezekiel. So it says, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Is Jesus Christ mad at uh, his children? No, he's not mad at the children of God. He's mad at the children of Satan. There are those who are team Jesus and those who are team Satan. You might say, research scientists, actually I'm neither of those. And the truth is, every person by default is team Satan because we were born in the image of Adam instead of the image of God. And so in order to be born again in the image of God, in order to have Uh, a transition from mortality to immortality in order to come into right standing with God. We must transition from being a child of Satan to being a child of God. It's not 
automatic. It's not the default position. At the Super Bowl, and I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl, at the Super Bowl only one team will win. In this Super Bowl that we call life, only one team will win. That is Team Jesus. The Battle of Armageddon is all about the Super Bowl of life. We're about to hear when these two teams, Team Jesus and Team Satan, they're going to head off. Where? At the Battle of Armageddon. In Jerusalem, and one team will win and one team will lose. Now, those who are in the nations, the nations that have allied themselves with the losing team, they will be struck down. Now you say, I don't like this message. I'm a person who likes to think happy thoughts. Uh I enjoy things like dancing, uh, sewing, listening to uh, music that's catchy. At the same time, life is a serious thing. God has uh, serious plans to affect serious change. Now, what's the change that's going to be brought about? We are changing from this present earth full of, that's full of sin and corruption to a new earth a new earth where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more grief, no more death. In order to transition to this new world, Jesus Christ will defeat all five of God the Father's enemies. Who are they? Number one, in the order of their coming destruction, the Antichrist. Number two, the false prophet. Number three, Satan. Number four, all the children of Satan. And number five, Death itself. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, And the last enemy he destroys will be death. Now we're at the beginning of the destruction of God's five enemies here at the Battle of Armageddon. We're at the beginning of the destruction of God the Father's five enemies here at the Battle of Armageddon. Now let's continue. Chapter 19, verse 15 says, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. Now, when will Jesus Christ rule the nations? Now, you know, when he came the first time, he died on the cross. He didn't rule any nation. Now, they asked him, uh, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, I am, but my kingdom's for another time. When is that? That's this time. When he comes to fight and win the battle of Armageddon, that is the timing of the kingdom of God on this present earth. Immediately after the battle of Armageddon is fought and won, the governments of man will be put down, and the government of Jesus Christ will be established on this present earth. It says he will rule them with an iron rod. Who is he ruling? He's ruling the nations. He's not ruling singularly Canada or uh, singularly Switzerland. He's ruling all the nations. How's he going to rule them? With the government that he establishes, and we're told right here, he will rule them with an iron rod. Jesus Christ has weapons. Do you think that Satan is more powerful than God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ? Of course not. 
Of course not. If Satan has weapons, God has weapons that are superior to those that Satan has. Now, we're told here in verse 15, Jesus Christ has a sharp sword and he has an iron rod. Now, let's continue. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Let me read that again. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, this is very important. The wrath of God begins with the seven final plagues. So the seven plagues prophecy, we talked about that uh, We talked about that in July. That's the wrath of God, which follows the wrath of Satan. The wrath of God culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. Now, we're told right here in the Marriage Supper prophecy, that's the primary prophecy in the book of Revelation that focuses on uh, the Battle of Armageddon. It says he will release the fierce wrath of God like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, this is talking about a very specific aspect of the wrath of God. So part of the wrath of God is the first plague, and then there's the second plague, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, right? And after the seventh plague is released, one of the things that happens is that the headquarters of the harlot church is uh, destroyed. But now we're talking about the culmination of the wrath of God. What's that? We're talking about the part where juice flows like a wine press. Now, this language, wine press, is very interesting. It's very interesting. Hear me, friend and truth seeker. If you have this secret about the wine press, you have a very important secret in the book of Revelation. The wine press refers specifically and always in the book of Revelation by my analysis to the Battle of Armageddon. In Revelation chapter 14, when it talks about the wine press, it's talking about the Battle of Armageddon. Now you say, well, why is the Battle of Armageddon a wine press? When Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon, we're about to hear the details, blood, the blood will flow. Whose blood? the blood of all the armies that have been sent to fight the armies of heaven, the armies of the kings of the world led by the Antichrist. So Jesus Christ is going to squeeze. He's going to squeeze his enemies. So when you say squeeze them, this is a metaphor like a wine press when a wine press is used the grapes are uh the grapes are crushed and from the grapes you get wine you get wine so in the earth prophecy it talks about the grapes talks about the harvest now let's stay here where we are Let me say it very succinctly. Make a mental note that the wine press refers to the the shedding of the blood 
of God's enemies at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, let's hear these details. Let's continue. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, it doesn't say it is juice flowing from a wine press. It says like juice flowing from a wine press. Okay, so he's using that as a metaphor. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of All Kings and Lord of All Lords. So just in case there's any doubt about who specifically is riding this white horse who's followed by the armies of heaven, this scripture, verse 16, communicates clearly. It's for sure, without a doubt, Jesus Christ. Because it says on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of All Kings and Lord of All Lords. Now let's continue. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now, friend and truth seeker, did you hear that? The angel of the Lord says, and not only does the angel of the Lord say this, John the Revelator tells us the angel of the Lord shouts. So he doesn't say this in a whisper or speaking in a regular tone. He shouts. And who does he shout to? He doesn't shout to the bride. He doesn't shout to those who have the mark of the beast. He doesn't shout to the Antichrist. He doesn't shout to the angels of the Lord. It says he shouts, quote, to the vultures flying high in the sky. Now, where, where are they? Now we're on present earth. We're on present earth. Earth, Jesus Christ, we began with seeing that he's in heaven. He's suited up. You know, when, a, uh, when it's time to go to war, a person suits up. Jesus Christ, he's suited up. He has on his outfit. He has his weapon, the sword that, that comes from his mouth. And now... We're given a picture here on the present earth, an angel will shout to the vultures flying high in the sky. Now, this is so important. I know I've already said it a few times, but let's just get this straight in our minds. I've heard so many false teaching about this, people saying, you know, you know I don't want to repeat what's not true. Let's just stay clear with what is true. We're told at the beginning of this prophecy that it's time for, quote, the wedding feast of the Lamb. So some Bible translations refer to it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so wedding feast of the Lamb, marriage supper of the Lamb, we're talking about the same thing. It's mentioned twice. It's mentioned uh, that that's what we're talking about in verse 7 of chapter 19. And again in verse 9. And now here in verse 17 of the same chapter, the vultures are given an instruction. And the instruction that they're given is, 
quote, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Now, you might say, well, I think God should prepare a banquet for the the church. Well, I think so, too. But do you know that God is smarter than me and he's smarter than you? He's decided that he's going to prepare a great banquet for the vultures. Now, you might agree or disagree. I might agree or disagree, but our focus is not on what we would do if we were God, but our focus is on what God is going to do because he is God, what God is going to do because he is God. Now, he is going to have an angel communicate via shouting to the vultures on this present earth, and they will be instructed to come and gather for a banquet that God has prepared for who? For them, for the vultures. Now, you might say, this sounds, this sounds very gruesome. War is gruesome. War is, not, uh, war is not peace, but war can lead to peace. When? When it's a war waged in righteousness. The Battle of Armageddon is the war to end all wars. Now, after the vultures are told to gather for the great banquet God has prepared for them, we have more information confirming confirming that the wedding feast of the Lamb is specifically for the vultures. Verse 18 says, come and eat the flesh of kings. Let's pause there for a second. There's more. I'm going to read the whole scripture again, but let's pause there for a second. It says, come and eat the flesh of kings. Friend, is Jesus Christ a cannibal? Of course not. Friend, is Jesus Christ giving an instruction for you or me or any believer to eat the flesh of a, another human being? Of course not. Jesus Christ is not a promoter of cannibalism. Cannibalism is demonic. Come and eat the flesh of kings. It's no way possible that the wedding feast of the lamb, where it's time to eat the flesh of kings, is prepared for the purposes of eating by God's holy people. It's just not possible. It says, come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now, every person at the Battle of Armageddon who is fighting with the armies of the world, 100% of them are going to die by the sword of Jesus Christ. Now, let's hear it. Now, God's having the angel announce in advance, these people, what people? Kings, generals, and strong warriors, horses and riders, all humanity, free and slave, small and great, all of these people at the Battle of Armageddon, they are going to be in a wine press. Their blood is going to flow. Jesus Christ is going to crush them grapes. Why? He's releasing the wrath of God. A person can only act in opposition to God for so long until he responds. There are consequences. 
There are consequences for being team Satan. There are consequences for opposing the will of God. These individuals are in defiance. They are in defiance of and in opposition to the will of God. And now it's time for God to put a stop to those who have come against him and his plans. Now let's continue, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now, Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven are no longer in heaven. Jesus Christ has left heaven. We know his mode of transportation. He's on a white horse. The armies of heaven have left heaven. We know their mode of transportation. They're also on white horses. We know what everyone's outfit is. Jesus Christ, his, uh, his uniform for the Battle of Armageddon is a robe dipped in blood. Uh, those who are in the armies of heaven, they are wearing white linen. That's their uniform. They have left heaven, which is a location, and now they are in a new location. They have descended from the clouds, and they are here on the present earth. Remember, Jesus Christ, uh, when he rose from the dead, he was here for a number of days. Many people saw him, and then he ascended into the clouds of heaven, and we were told that he would come back. He would descend the same way he ascended, okay? Now, he descends for the purposes of the resurrection, but now we're talking about after the first resurrection. It's the Battle of Armageddon. It's time for the Super Bowl of life. You know, it's very exciting on uh, game day. We look forward to game day. Maybe you go out and buy wings or your favorite beverage, uh, desserts, uh, chips and dip. Maybe you have a... tacos or tortillas and salsa, you know, it's an exciting time when the Super Bowl arrives each year. Well, how much more exciting is the Super Bowl of life? The Battle of Armageddon is the Super Bowl of life. We are talking about the countdown to the Battle of Armageddon. It is, it's the definitive war where there is Team Jesus and Team Satan. After the Battle of Armageddon, there will never, ever be another war on this present earth or the new earth to come. Now, we're told in Isaiah people are going to put down their weapons and they're going uh, to turn, turn them into plowshares and other things. The Battle of Armageddon is something to look forward to. Why? You say, why on earth would you look forward to a war? Because after this war is fought and won, first of all, let me back up. We need to look forward to it because Jesus Christ is going to win. A second reason to look forward to it is it brings the end of war. So, you know, they said that World War One was going to bring this or that. World War Two would bring this or that. You know, wars are fought in order to bring peace, but we will never, ever have peace on this present earth until the Prince of Peace, that's Jesus Christ, fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon and establishes his government immediately thereafter. So now here we are, Revelation chapter 19, verse 19. This is telling us, in real time, what is happening? 
John the Revelator says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world. Let's pause there for a second. This beast is talking about the Antichrist. Now, you might recall, if you have been with us in earlier discussions, that in the book of Revelation, when it says the beast, you have to look at other clues to know if it's talking about the beast as in the Antichrist, the beast as in the false prophet. So if we look in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, we're told that there's another beast quote, another beast, and then that another beast is referred to as the false prophet. That's in Revelation chapter 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy. And then uh, in the purple and scarlet prophecy, Revelation chapters 17 and 18, as well as verses 1 to 5 of 19, the prophecy right before this one in that documentary Satan is referred to as the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, which he will after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. So what's my take-home point? When we see the beast in the book of Revelation, we need to know, is it talking about, we have to look at other clues in that scripture. Is it talking about the Antichrist? Is it talking about the false prophet? Or is it talking about Satan? And sometimes it's talking about the ten-nation alliance the ten-nation alliance that will dominate economic and political affairs during the Great Tribulation. Right here is talking about the Antichrist. We're going to hear those clues that uh, confirm that for us. Verse 19 says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now, you might recall from Revelation uh, chapter 16, that when the sixth vial is poured out, the Euphrates River is going to be dried up supernaturally, and these individuals are going to traverse the Euphrates River to arrive specifically at the location preordained for the Battle of Armageddon. So we know how they're going to get there, but right here in the Marriage Supper Prophecy, they're already there. They're, they have taken the field. They are on the field. It says, who's on the field? Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So on one side, we have the Antichrist, the kings of the world, and their armies. Notice it says A-R-M-I-E-S. So Multiple nations are going to give uh, troops from their specific nation to be a part of the armies uh, led by the Antichrist, okay? So multiple nations. We're told in other scriptures who some of those nations are going to be, but for now, let's just stay here. So on one side, we have the Antichrist, the kings of the world, and uh the world's armies from those nations who have sent uh, armies, one of the, you know, their army, and it will be multiple nations sending an army, gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So Jesus Christ sitting on his white horse and the armies of heaven. And then on the other side, the Antichrist, the kings of the world, and the armies of the kings of the world. Now let's continue what happens. We only have two more verses now. We only have two more verses now. Verses 20 and 21 are going to tell us the outcome of the Battle of Armageddon. 
and it's going to confirm that the wedding feast of the Lamb is the wine press. It is God's cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 20 says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. So let's pause right there. It says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. So with him the false prophet tells us that the beast cannot be referring to the false prophet because it says, and with him. So there are two of them. There are two of them. Now we know from Revelation chapter 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy, uh, that the Antichrist is referred to as the beast multiple times in the book of Revelation. In the purple and scarlet prophecy, he's referred to as the scarlet beast and the eighth king. Okay, so right here, this is talking about the Antichrist. It says, verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Now, that also confirms that this beast is the Antichrist and not Satan, because we learn in Revelation chapter 13 that the Antichrist and the false prophet work in tandem, and that the false prophet, we learn about some six specific actions that he will take in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, uh, and he will be the person that tells people that they need to worship the statue of the Antichrist. Okay, verse 20, and the beast was captured, so the Antichrist is captured right there, and with him the false prophet. Both of them are captured. They are losers. They are losers. The flunkies of Satan will lose the battle of Armageddon. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now let's pause there for a second. During the Great Tribulation, it's going to look like Satan is winning. His flunkies, who are Satan's flunkies? The Antichrist and the false prophet. His flunkies will work in tandem to forward his agenda. And we're told in Daniel that no human will be able to defeat the Antichrist. Now listen to me, friend and truth seeker. We will not be able to pray away the reality of the Great Tribulation. We will not be able in and of ourselves, to take down the Antichrist. We're told that in Daniel. And the reality of how the Antichrist is taken out is right here. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 21, the marriage supper prophecy, the, the takedown of the Antichrist. The takedown of the Antichrist is in the marriage supper prophecy. No nation takes him down. Israel doesn't take him down. The United States of America doesn't take him down. Who takes the Antichrist down? Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. Let's hear it one more time. And the beast was captured. Captured by who? Jesus Christ. And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now I want to pause there for a second. This goes kind of fast in time. 
This goes fast in time. Uh, so we learn that the beast and the Antichrist were captured. Then it fast forwards in time. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. There's a curious thing, which is that God is a God of justice, and no one is sentenced to eternal damnation without having the opportunity to appear in court and have his or her case heard. So I used to think that, well, this this is an exception. The Antichrist and the false prophet, perhaps it's the case that their deeds are so uh, dastardly, they're so horrible that that they just, they're the only ones that go straight to uh, the second death. And then I was reading in Daniel, and it talks about court. It talks about court. I believe, I believe that in between the false prophet and the Antichrist being captured, that their cases are heard, that their cases are heard before they're thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, you might say, well, research scientists, where is that? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, it says, as I was looking at the horns, talking about uh, talking about the kings of the ten-nation alliance, Suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human, eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. So the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, it's the Antichrist. Okay, so we're talking about the Antichrist. Then verse 9 of the same chapter, continuing, it says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the Ancient one sat down to judge. Then it says some other things. Then it says, Then the court began its session and the books were opened. It says, Then the court began its session. It doesn't say, Then they begin to sing and dance. Then they begin to praise and worship. Then they begin to, you know, eat. Uh, barbecue ribs and baked potatoes, which is, you know, what I would like. It says, then the court began its session and the books were open. Now, we know that there's a great white throne judgment and that after Satan is destroyed, then all of his children, they go to court and their cases are heard. That's in the dead judge prophecy. But right now we're talking about the Antichrist, Daniel chapter 7. So it says, then the court began its session and the books were open. And in verse 11, immediately after it says, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. So there's a lot happening here, um, you know, 
in Daniel's Little Horn Dream, Daniel Chapter 7. But I just want to draw your attention in case you're curious about that, because maybe you say, wait a minute, if God is a God of justice, how is it that the Antichrist doesn't have his case heard? Now, the Antichrist, you know, if it was me, I don't think I would have him have his case hurt. But I'm not God, right? I would say, listen, I know what you did. You're done. You're going into the lake of fire immediately. But God is smarter than me. God is a just God. And I believe that Daniel chapter 7 reveals that the Antichrist has his case heard. Uh, and unfortunately, it says, um, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. So apparently, when he is having his case heard, he's still boasting. Now, what's the end of it all? What's the end of it all? Both, going back to Revelation chapter 19, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, this is really important. I began our talk today with sharing that God the Father has five enemies. Jesus Christ is going to destroy all five enemies of God. When the fifth and final enemy is destroyed, we transition from this present earth to a new earth, but not until that time. Now, in chronological order of their destruction, here they are, the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, the children of Satan, and death. So here, when we hear that the Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, the first two enemies of God are destroyed. Count down to the new earth. Hallelujah. Count down to the new earth. Now, I want to share with you uh, from the dead judge prophecy, Revelation chapter 20, that this fiery lake is the second death. So God's strategy for destroying all five enemies, again, who are God the Father's five enemies? The Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, the children of Satan, and death. These are the five enemies in the way of us having peace on earth and peace for all time. When these five enemies are destroyed, we have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more mourning, no more tears, no more death. And we get to live on a new earth. We get to live on a new earth. No waters will be polluted. Everything you eat will taste fantastic. Have you, have you, have, have you had any fruits or vegetables and you say, this doesn't taste quite real. I'm not sure what has happened, but it doesn't taste the way I think it's supposed to taste. Why? We're under the curse. But on the new earth, everything's going to taste amazing. And you're going to live in your glorified, immortal body. You'll never, ever, uh, you'll never, ever die. You'll never, ever get sick. Your body will never wear out. You will never go beyond your physiological peak. I hate. When people say, in my day, and then they say something after that, and people, of course, mean it in a good way, and my thought is, every day is your day. You haven't had your best day yet, as Randy Alcorn says, the prolific, uh, the prolific writer on heaven. You haven't had your best day yet. Every day is your day. 
every day is your day, uh, particularly when uh, we participate in the first resurrection, it will feel like every day is our day, right? You might say, research scientist, I'm 92 years old. It doesn't feel like it's my day. Friend, if you are in Jesus Christ, it is your day. If you have found and followed God's plan for salvation, it is your day. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't, and you are interested in immortality, would you type into the Internet Acts 2 colon 38? Acts 2 colon 38. If you follow that, if you follow that, you are guaranteed, you are guaranteed a peak performance body. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, I think having a mortal body is my biggest crisis. Death is my greatest enemy. And I'm glad to know a God, to serve a God who says that he's going to take my enemy and destroy my enemy. Now, you can cooperate or not cooperate with Jesus Christ. If you want to cooperate with Jesus Christ, look at Acts 2, colon, 38. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Now, there are many important scriptures. First Timothy has one talking about Jesus Christ as mediator. It's another favorite. But I would start there. Uh, now let's continue here in the marriage supper prophecy. I wanted to uh, share with you, though, briefly about the second death. So it says they're thrown into the fiery lake. Who? The Antichrist and the false prophet. In Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. So we went to the we went to the dead judge prophecy for a second so that we could get that definition for the second death. So the lake of fire is referred to in many prophecies in the book of Revelation, but it's only here, it's only here in the dead judge prophecy where it's clearly articulated that what the lake of fire is is the second death. So that's where a person or entity resides for the eternities of all eternities when the individual has been destroyed. So what it means for God to destroy a person or to destroy an angel is to have that person or entity separated from himself forever and ever and dwelling dwelling in a location which is a fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone for how long? You know, is it 20 years? Sometimes people do something bad. They get sentenced to 20 years. Unfortunately, it's not 20 years. It's for eternity. But you know what? For all of those people who want, they just want to stay in evil and sin, I don't want them coming back to the new earth because then we're circling back. We're circling back to war. No, I want to stay in peace. I want to stay in peace, so I praise God that he's a God of justice and that of the increase of his government in peace there shall be no end. Now, the fiery lake is the second death. Let's go back to the marriage supper prophecy. So 
it tells us both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now let's go back to verse 20. Let's hear the last two verses of the marriage supper prophecy in their entirety. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, it's interesting to mention that when someone is thrown into the fiery lake, the person doesn't cease to exist. Like some people, I've heard some people say, well, I just think that when you die, that's it. Well, friend and truth seeker, the Bible communicates very clearly and often that that's not the case that there's perfect continuity of life. When a human being dies, either the individual goes to present heaven or to uh, a prison of darkness in Hades. Those who go to present heaven will participate in the first resurrection. Those who go to a prison of darkness in Hades will participate in the second resurrection, the resurrection where they're going to get their case heard. And unfortunately, every person who fail to make the first resurrection, when their case is heard, it's going to be found that they're guilty, that they have some sin debt that hasn't been paid for, and they'll be denied entry onto the new earth. And they'll be ushered uh, straight to this fiery lake, just like the Antichrist and false prophet. But here we're talking about the first two enemies of God, not the children of Satan, but the first Two enemies of God to be destroyed. It says here, both the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, we're going to get this last scripture, verse 21. Please, please hear me. Uh, I used to have a teacher. She would say, I need you to put on your listening ears. She would talk like that, like kind of slow, stretching out each of her words. And, I, and you know, I was a kid, and I was like, I'm, I'm, do I have any other kind of ears? But now I get that sometimes people don't listen. You know, maybe, maybe other things are trying to distract you. Um, I'm going to ask you if you could focus exclusively on what the Bible is saying right now. This is so important. Verse 21 Revelation 19, countdown to Battle of Armageddon. We're here at the Battle of Armageddon. What happens at the end of it? Talking about the Antichrist and the kings of the world and the false prophet. Verse 21 says, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Let's, let's analyze this. Friend and truth seeker, it's no way possible that you or me, neither of us is a vulture. And I know for a fact that I'm not going to be eating a dead human body, and I believe that you will not be eating a dead human body. And, of course, Jesus Christ is not instructing us to eat uh, any dead human bodies, but the angel of the Lord will give the instruction for the vultures to come and gather themselves to eat the flesh. What flesh? A hundred percent. It says their entire army was killed. Now, 
This army is going to include millions of people. Millions. They think they're going to take out Israel. They think it's the, Israel's uh, easy pickings at this point. But what they're going to find is, quote, their entire army was killed. Now, interestingly, at the end of Revelation chapter 14, we learn that how, how, how much blood is there going to be? It says 180 miles. 180 miles in Revelation chapter 14. Talking about the same event, the Battle of Armageddon. But let's say here, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Now, the one riding the white horse is Jesus Christ. Remember, it says on his thigh, uh, king of all kings and lord of all lords. And he came the first time as the lamb of God, but the second time he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to release the fierce wrath of God. He's going to squeeze those who are team Satan, those who have come against Israel and come against the church during the Great Tribulation. He's going to fight a local war. It's not worldwide. The Battle of Armageddon is not worldwide. It's local. At that specific location in Israel, he's going to fight and win this battle, the Battle of Armageddon, and, you know, he's not taking any prisoners. No person who chooses to participate on the opposing team, no person who is Team Satan at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, there will be people who are Team Satan elsewhere in the world who will survive the Battle of Armageddon because it's not a worldwide war. It's local. But... All of the people who are a part of any of the armies, any of the armies, if they're there to fight the Battle of Armageddon, if they're part of the armies of the kings of the world, and they're there to fight Israel, it says their entire army. Entire means 100%, not 99%, not 95 not 96 Listen, on another date, we're going to talk about some of these nations that are going to be sending their troops, and it's very important for us to, to share with people, if you happen to live in any of these nations or you have uh, relatives who live in any of these nations, and those of us who read and understand the Word of God, we need to let people know, do not participate in the armies. Uh, that are going to be going to Jerusalem to fight against Israel under any circumstances, never, ever, ever do it because 100% of the individuals who are in these armies are going to experience the first death. So when it says they're killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, that's a normal death in the sense that, you know, sometimes people die from, uh, disease, people died, there was an accident, there was this or that. So this is going to be a, a, a normal death, but it's, it's death due to war, death due to uh, making a wrong decision to be Team Satan. Now, remember, it ended with, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. I don't know about you, friend and truth seeker, but I am 100%. I am fully persuaded that the wedding feast of the Lamb refers to the fact that God's cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon is to have the vultures 
feast on the carnage that remains after he has fought and won the Battle of Armageddon. We are going to be continuing our discussion on the marriage supper prophecy in September of 2023. So this is the ninth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. And we are going to continue focusing on analyzing the countdown to the Battle of Armageddon. What are those events? that will tell us that the battle of armageddon is soon coming how do we know where we in where we are in time uh how soon should we expect the battle of armageddon we're going to be talking about that in a future program i invite you to be with me and with us every thursday every thursday at 10 a.m central 11 a.m eastern and on sundays at 12 noon texas time that's 1 p.m eastern time as we continue discussion and analysis of the marriage supper prophecy right here on pgn prophetic grace network thank you for being with me and with us today if you haven't done so yet friend I urge you, according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.